sometimes struggle to get up in the morning or wind down for bed at night. I used to find it so difficult. I woke up with no sense of positivity and brightness. I was void of motivation and spirit. This changed completely when I started waking up with a Lumi body clock. These incredible devices mimic the light and colour of a real sunrise and sunset, transforming the experience of waking up and going to sleep completely. Rather than being suddenly woken up with an alarm clock, the Lumi body clock will wake you up gradually with a natural sunrise. The Lumi body clock has been shown to improve the quality of sleep and awakening and to boost mood and productivity in clinical trials. You can personalise your sunrise and sunset from 15 to 90 minutes with their clinically tested unique natural light and more than 20 sleep and wake sounds. We all deserve to sleep well and to wake up feeling fresh. So if you're finding this a challenge and you want to try a new approach, go to lumi.com. Welcome to the Greatest Music of All Time podcast. A real honour to talk to you. And, uh, you know, this is one of the occasions where I feel like I'm talking to one of the greatest so real uh honor i was gonna privilege. say if this is the greatest music of all time play me somebody good <laughs> <laughs> mind well we'll there. play <laughs> we'll play your uh we'll play runaway one of my favorite uh, records of all time but i want to start off uh, asking about you know the present um uh, we we were listening to uh the new cwf single uh carrie um when did you record that and you know what's the kind of story behind that i don't even remember <laughs> uh uh peter comes over about once a year i think he's coming over in november uh just to record to write and record stuff peter freestead he's a guitar player he's based in sweden yeah he's based it's a i think a little small town right near gothenburg sweden and uh i've just kind of been working off and on with peter for hell it looks like 10 15 years now Time flies, you know. And, uh, you know, I turned him on to Joe Williams, and him and Joe did an album together. And then he said, well, let's just do the three of us together and see what happens. Then we did the first CWF album. And uh, and that was, you know, I mean, Peter is a giant uh, West Coast music fan. So if if he had his druthers, everything would sound like a West Coast record. <laughs> you know, which to me would be... No matter what it is, even a whole record of all R and B wouldn't. I would be bored, even though I'm a giant R and B fan, you know. So, so I mean, Joe and I kind of got into where well, let's do this and let's do that and let's do that, just to open up the record with a couple of other songs that aren't mm. that aren't that don't sound like early Toto, you know, because he's 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 imprinted with uh, with West Coast stuff. So it's always kind of cool to give him shit. <laughs> hey, Peter, that sounds just like the last one, you know. And I think Carrie was already cut for something else, and then he re he recut. He had Jason sing on it. Jason Chef. Jason Chef. Yeah, yeah. partner of mine on a lot of stuff that I do. And uh, he's uh, you know he just whatever Peter does, it always usually ends up getting done, unless it goes too far. Left, you know, I mean, I, we did one tune where we we co-wrote something. Tamara actually came up with some lyrics, and Stefan Gunnarsson came up with a really great chorus for a song called uh, "All the Love in the World." Uh, we got Michael McDonald to sing on it. Wow! And then Peter cool. had a he had uh, I think Tommy Malm or somebody had somebody rearrange it so they underdubbed the band, and it was it just the song went away, you know, and it became another. Yet another 
vehicle for West Coast. And I said, whoa, 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 come back. We're doing better. You know, you're overstepping. And it's happened once or twice. But for the most part, we we get along pretty well. He's he's very good guitarist, very good uh and he gets he gets these records out, so we're we're looking to have a new one out probably, maybe January. All right, it's that's going to be awesome. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're always great. Um, and interest- yeah, he just I talked to him yesterday. He said Joe looks like he might want to record some, so we get Joe back in the ball game because he Joe got pretty seriously totoed out there for a little while. You yeah, know? they're playing a lot of dates. Yeah, we couldn't get a lot. We couldn't get him on a lot of stuff. That's why one of the reasons why Jason's singing on on the one song. Yeah. Well, Jason's a fantastic singer as well. He's wonderful, yeah. yeah so, and man, Jason, I got to tell you, since his playing and singing since he left Chicago is improved 900%. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think a lot of they wanted him to be somebody that he wasn't. You know, oh, you be, they did this with me, I didn't buy it. You be Terry Kath, you be Peter Cetera. Now learn how to sing, not learn how, to, how they sing stuff. No. <laughs> yeah it's better uh-uh. to when when we're talking about musicians of this quality it's better to there's a, be there's a point where you just go no and i think when jason was younger i mean he joined the band when he was 23 years old so i mean he, he was kind of buying that yeah. so he always kind of had that hanging over him a little bit you know sing it like peter sing it like peter peter's gonna sing it like peter i'm gonna sing it like i sing it and that's kind of where he's at now and yeah man he's 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 freed up completely well, there's no, and he's a bad mofo, man. He's a, a serious. He's an incredible great, singer, great bass player too. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's just you know, uh, let's. Uh, I, you know, I'm gonna just have to swear out a warrant for his arrest and get him to have him stop this shit right away. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I love him. He's, he's a good guy. So, so when we're talking about West Coast, um, I was gonna say this later in the interview, but I kind of know your your answer to this question. A lot of people call West Coast music yacht rock music. What do you think about that? We call it what? what are you? Yacht rock music. Yacht rock. Mm. <laughs> Whoever came up with it. Do you ever? Do you ever hear the yacht rock station on on satellite radio? Yeah, I mean, I like the tunes. The, the, the songs are fine. The, the songs are great. You, know, you yeah. get a lot of Michael uh, McDonald. Yeah, you get a lot, bunch of Kenny Loggins. Yeah. a lot of Christopher Cross. Great records. But the announcer, yacht rock. <laughs> I just want to <laughs> shoot this guy. <laughs> I mean, it's just such a such a just bad, <laughs> bad disc jockey. Do you think it's somewhere. a bit disrespectful, the term, towards the, the kind of, like it, that, it, that It doesn't make movement. a lot of sense to me. Yacht rock, what does it mean? I mean, if everybody, I mean, I've been kind of involved and I was probably maybe in on the ground floor of this, what they call West Coast. Yeah. West Coast music. And I think, which kind of started in a, in a lot of ways, kind of started when Steely Dan started to go where the music was taking him. Yeah. Back then, and then then along came Toto, uh, Boskags, really, you know. And all of a sudden, there was what it was was okay. Up to that point, we had pop, right? And then we and we also had R and B, and then we also had jazz. And never shall they meet. West Coast, they met, pretty much. Yeah. And and there was sort of an edu little bit of an educational thing put on what is pop music. And uh, and certain guys really produced great records in that level. David Foster's one of them. Mm. David Page, 
you know, produce all of Toto's stuff, and and pretty much was in the on the arrangement and co-writing on on Silk Degrees. Yeah, and those that record is considered a ground zero West Coast West Coast record. record yeah. yeah, my record, my uh, not so much a single album, but Runaway album is considered a, a, a kind of a ground zero West Coast record. It is. It's funny because me and David jumped all over the single album. I mean, we got deep into it. I mean, both of us really gave a shit at that point of the game. And especially David. I mean, he was deep into it. And then when we got around to doing doing the the Runaway album, we kind of had to do it on whatever time we had. You know, started off as a singles deal. And so we did, we we cut two or three songs and submitted them to Joe Smith at uh, Electro. And he says, oh man, this is great. Let's do an album. But by that time, David had already signed on to do the Tubes, the Tubes record, uh, Completion Backwards Principle. Mm. And he hired me pretty much to be their, vo- you know, kind of go in with them, sort of help them with their vocal stuff. He, he asked him, he said, can I bring in a guy from around here to kind of help you with your vocals? He said, oh, we don't want some slick L.A. singer. How about Bill Champlin? Hey, he's one of us. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably the slickest in town at the, at the moment anyway. But well, neither here nor there. We ended up having a ball doing it. It was great. And then after that, we 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 finished up. You know, we just wrote a bunch of stuff and finished up the Runaway. That's album. really interesting. I mean, both albums, but we single kinda, and Runaway, it, great. I, I don't want to say we schlocked it off, but at that point of the game, we'd worked together long enough to where we knew what was going to happen. We knew how it was going to happen. We knew what was going to go on vocally. Da da da. So it was more. Uh, and I think I think David David came up with really some of the coolest parts ever on a, a song called Sarah. I love that song. On that, yeah. I mean, we really did some vocals on that. We stacked up some vocals like crazy on that one. It was, yeah. It worked out really great. What's the story behind this on YouTube? There's a there's a live performance and uh, of, of Sarah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great performance, it, but it seems like you're in like a ski resort or something. Or like you're near a mountain and you're performing Sarah. Oh, alive. that was probably... Was well, that in When the record was out, we did a, we did a movie called Copper Mountain right. with Alan Thicke, who actually... Sarah, I had the song Sarah for a couple of years, but I didn't have the lyrics. And I kept writing different lyrics. And it seemed like a girl's name guy had to be in there somewhere, somehow. It's just one of those ones where you go, this is reaching out for that. Mm. And, uh, and I was just, you know... Usually I'm pretty good. I come up with just about... I can come up lyrically with just about anything. I was hitting the wall with this. It was not working. And Alan Thicke was hanging out at the sessions. And I know Alan, I'd worked with Alan doing a bunch of his songs and stuff like that. And and I knew he was a really good lyricist. So, And David said, why don't we just have Alan write him? So I made a cassette. How about that for a little, little old? And gave it to Alan. Alan came back mostly written. I may have to fool around with it a little bit. But, you know, kind of like the way Elton fools around with, with Bernie's stuff. He says, well, mm. i got to clip off of a, a syllable here, and we got to figure a way to just make this fit in where the music's going. So, and it ended up being the song Sarah, and it was Alan that did it. So, But Alan had that movie going, and it was it was the first time anybody had seen uh, uh, Jim Carrey do, doing anything. So Jim was part of that movie, and it was called Copper Mountain. That's was, awesome. Yeah, it was at a at a ski resort up there. We yeah, I ended up having fun doing it. Yeah, it's a great. Rita Coolidge life. was doing it. Tamara had been singing with uh, singing backgrounds with Rita for a while. So I mean, it was just you know, Ronnie Hawkins I think was on that was on that show. 
it's a it's a yeah it's a great performance and it's great to see because there's you know i mean there's not that much from that singing, time singing outside in the snow yeah yeah yeah, you pipe Different. warmed up. What do you mean? Nothing's warmed up. <laughs> <laughs> but so, the, so the single record. You, I mean, both records are great, but diff, obviously different sounds. Single, um, I think you put more a time, a little in. more toward R and B. R and B. Yeah. What, what about the the track uh, "Your Mama"? That's such a great. Uh, that, I mean, that's R and B. We had we had two bands for the single album. How we did it, at Foster. So there's there's. You, you got some R&B stuff and you got some really kind of pop stuff. There's a song called Careless on there and uh, uh, the, the I think the ass kicker of the whole record is Keys to the Kingdom with that whole orchestral beginning. I saw Jeff reading that. And Jeff Pacero. Mm. I walked in on the, on the session and he was reading that. I was like, holy smokes, this guy's amazing. Because, you know, step do do da 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 all these shots, all these pushes, all this other stuff, and Jeff's nailing it. He was an amazing drummer. So that band, for the straight-ahead stuff, we used David Hungate on bass. We used David Page on keyboard. David Foster on keyboard, Steve Lukather on guitar. We basically it was Toto. Toto, yeah, yeah, pretty much Toto. And then, uh, and then the other band that we used for Yo Mama, and Love Is Forever, and uh, a couple other things. I can't remember which ones they were. Man, it's a while back uh, was Ray Parker's band. So we used Larry Talbot on drums, who's a monster. And then I, I don't know if we, I don't know if the the bass player. Was Larry, was was Ray's bass player? We use Ray on on rhythm guitar. Ray Parker Jr. Oh my goodness, <laughs> plays the. He's still to this day is one of the best rhythm guitar players on the earth. That guy can f- make it funky. Bro, I had one tune that went through all of these changes, and he found that that was common to each one of the changes. He found the one spot that that could happen, and he just put that in there, and it just was like. Just covering it with glue, it just glued the whole song together, it just with a rhythm guitar part. That's when you know. I mean, that's when I really realized that, hey, these session guys got some shit going on. <laughs> yeah. some, they they not only can read what you want them to play, but they can play what you want to hear. They just that know you didn't know do. about before because you didn't know you had no idea. So that's I think those guys. I mean, like Graydon. Ray Parker, uh, David Hungate, Page, those guys all came up with, with stuff. None of it was on paper. They just came up with it. Hey, man, listen to dum dum bum bum ba da dee da. Just let me do a line on the roads right here. Okay. Later on, Larry Williams came in. We had him dub it with flute. Boom. There's your arrangement. It's just so much talent going from yeah, every... and But guys that really understood what songs are about. Play for the song. I mean, I learned a whole lot doing both those records, mm-hmm. Runaway and uh, uh, and a single album. And well, you mentioned Jay there, and obviously you've you know you and Jay have won Grammys together. You've had yeah. a long uh, yeah. friendship yeah. Um, together. So did you did you meet him kind of in that scene in in, uh, in Los well, Angeles? Well, Jay was really close friends with with David. Yeah, you know they they brought me in to do some stuff on their Airplay album, which is another, another ground zero. Album. 
uh, West Coast record. Yeah. I mean, listen closely to Nothing You Can Do About It. Oh, my goodness. You know. And that was Steve Kipner who wrote the lyrics on it. And Kipner, I'd, I had done some stuff at Jay's house with Jay. And we, did a, we did some backgrounds on a Mark Jordan record. Mark's great, too. Yeah, another, that's another West Coast. Another badass, you know. Uh, and, then, uh, and then Steve Kipner did a solo album. And Steve's, you know, I mean, he wrote Genie in a Bottle. He co-wrote Hard Habit to Break. Mm. He, uh, he, he wrote Let's Get Physical. I mean, the <laughs> guy's just an amazing writer and a sweet guy, one of the nicest guys ever, you know. So we, you know, so I, I had done a handful of work with Jay just at his house working on stuff that he was doing, including some Al Jarreau records. Yeah, know, those are amazing. Singing some backgrounds on, on, on Jarreau stuff. I miss Al. He's really fun. Yeah, fun. I miss him a lot. Super, He's, super t- uh, talented. Well, nobody's kind of picked up that that ball and carried it. I don't that I that I can think of at the moment. I, mean, I might be wrong, but yeah. What would you describe his? Because there's so many different. <laughs> Bobby styles. Caldwell said, "Man, Jarrell's great. Man, he's got pert. His pitch is ridiculous. Even when you're changing keys and accidentals, he's right there with you all the way. He's his." Enunciation is great, but after about four bars, he bing-bongs you to death. <laughs> Caldwell was another guy that was, that was ground zero uh, of, of what you'd call West Coast music. Yeah. You know, and I, I kind of had a, had a really, really good West Coast following. But the problem is that everybody really liked West Coast because it opened, it opened up. It, it allowed more stuff. And then they only allowed that much. Now, if you're not inside that box, you're not happening. Which was exactly what was happening with pop before West Coast came along. And, you know, I kind of had a leaning toward R&B. In some ways, more so than, uh, more so than West Coast. So with, with R&B, because, like, the way that you sing is yeah. very... Uh, like when did that just start from from the word go like yeah. that's and, and why do you think you just picked up that singing style was it your your well influences? i grew up in in marin county california which is a little north of san francisco which is across the bay from oakland california now, oakland's had a had a radio station am radio station that i grew up on when i was a kid it's called kdia 1310 and they played all the r&b stuff all the James Brown. I discovered Lou Rawls mm. on uh, on that radio station. You know, the first time I heard Lou Rawls, I went, that's it. I just found my phrasing teacher. And I, I got two of his albums. I came home from high school when I was about a freshman or sophomore in high school and put both of those albums on over and over again just to, to try to figure out where this guy's phrasing. Where is his phrasing? It's always on the back, a little bit on the back. And I became friends with him later on. We did, and Ashley Graydon did an album with him. And had me come in and sing some background. So you know, Lou and I, and we we had the same manager for a while. And so I'd, I'd run into Lou off and on over the years, you know. And uh, and he, he's a fun guy. He had a ball. And there was uh, uh, he he. I said, Lou, where did you get that sort of back phrasing on the on the back side of it? He says, well, I forgot the words to the last minute. I said, you jive ass. <laughs> you know, we became pretty good friends. We can give each other as much shit as possible, you know, which tells you what's going on with that. Yeah. And uh, he's, he was just, uh, I learned probably more from him 
about phrasing than I did from listening to Ray Charles. I mean, obviously Ray Charles was... Amazing phrasing. Nothing. That was amazing. Yeah. There's a joke. Somebody goes to heaven and they see a big, long line of mansions right next door to each other and then up on this bluff, this twice as big mansion overlooking the whole place. He says, well, what are all these mansions? He says, well, those are the presidents of the United States. You know, the guys who had been president. What about that one up there? Oh, that's Ray Charles's. Well, very well deserved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why Ray? Because there's only one Ray. <laughs> yeah, yeah, damn right. That's he brilliant. was, yeah, was one of one of the masters. Well, yeah, he wrote the books. I mean, in, in a lot of ways. I mean, in terms of, in terms of crossover, he was the guy that I think maybe the first guy they started using that word crossover. Yeah. To so the, many different genres. Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, country, I can't stop loving yeah. you was number one for six months. And was it was, it? it's a it's a Hank Williams song, isn't it? Yeah, well, because country cause, song because he he's re- to cross over like that at, at that time into country music was took some doing. Yeah, yeah, but there's no because country quality. wasn't country wasn't. I mean, it might have crossed over to to pop, you know, with Neil Diamond and different people like that, but country wasn't. Nobody ever thought that it would cross over to like basically race records, R and B R and B records or or uh, black records. You know, I mean, it was just it was just in those days the United States was just their lines between races were much more boldly written, and they, they aren't anymore. I mean, every you know somehow music had a way of just crossing over all the lines and erasing them. But he was, yeah, so he was one of the early pioneers in that sense. He's but amazing. but the, these influences you can definitely hear in your voice. When, and, and then... The, well, and then Lou, I mean, when, like the, when the Sun's first album came out, I got one one review on it. It sounded like Lou Rawls got a rock band. <laughs> and I went, oops, they got me. <laughs> they caught me. <laughs> Somebody actually, a, a music writer, figured out who I was copping. Yeah. <laughs> So and a guy had told us years ago when we went to a show in uh, at a at a club in San Francisco, he says always steal, never stop stealing, steal everything. If you hear something Willie Nelson did in the morning, steal it, put it in your you know put it in your bandolero, you know make it part of your thing. And then if Ray Charles didn't grab one of those, grab something. If if you like it, steal it. Just forget who you stole it from. That's what everybody says. Yeah. But so w- when when your voice goes to kind of like gravelly and like that raspiness, that's not like is that put on? Is that something that you have to try to do, or does that just happen? There's a lot of there's a lot of I think you would call it tricks. Occasionally, you want to really get something across. I can put a little thump on it. You know, I call it that. You know, just you know, give it a little extra push. Go f- you know go for a go for a lick and try to make it come out of you right new you know what i mean don't sing oh now i'm gonna sing lick number seven no you just sing and let something happen mm. it's like when mcdonald was here uh he was he did a couple of passes on this one song and he did something i've never heard him sing before that's but that's, uh, that's very interesting yeah uh you know and i and and he says i can i can fix that i got something better i can sing there i said no so it just I've, you know, and Amy, his wife, Amy, was sitting there, and I said, "You ever heard him sing that?" She said, "No, I haven't either. It's staying on the record. <laughs> you just copped yourself a new Michael McDonald lick." He said, "It's fine, you know." He's so very, cool. very, very cool guy to work with. One of yeah. the, 
one of the best one of the best singers one of the really great piano player too yeah that's for sure yeah but Michael, so, so I want to shoot, another one i want to shoot <laughs> not really but yeah, by any means but when when you're so when you're singing like some of the stuff is such you know it's a lead vocal big vocal but then you've got this you know from what i i read you you were awarded you know something a prize or an award a very prestigious one just for being you know a backing singer back for, for all of the sessions yeah, they call it i think it was a, a vip or whatever the hell they called it um, um well for the sake of it was the national association of recording arts and sciences most valuable player yeah and and awarded mvp for mvp award yeah yeah i think it was in 70 uh, maybe 80 I don't know. I don't I th- yeah, know. I think it was at the at the end of the seventies. Yeah. So, and that's the well, backgrounds. I've done a million digs. I mean, I I was really, really, really fortunate when I first came to L.A. because I was hanging with with David Foster and Jay Graydon, and both those guys were going out as as cutting basics for producers all over town. So I I moved into town right in the middle of it. It was screaming, man. Things were really going on, and. And they were like, well, I'm going to give your number to the producer so when he gets around to doing backgrounds that he might call you. So I got a few calls from from different guys that Jay and David had, you know, given my number to. And then they, so they got me, in some cases, they got me my first gigs. And then the work I did got me my second and third gig and stuff like that. So the next thing you know, I'm waiting to do a record you know, waiting for a lawyer, attorney minuet to to go through and different things for my first album. I'm waiting, and in the meantime, I got rent to pay. And Foster and, and Graydon were like, hey, maybe we can help you with that. So they started getting me with a bunch of different producers. So the next thing I know, I'm kind of, I'm, you know, on some of the stuff that I'd worked with with David, J.P. Morgan record and Keen Brothers, I had worked with Carmen Twilly and Vinette Cloud. And Carmen still works a lot in town. She's a great reader and a great musician. And, a, and a, you know, I was considering my big sister. She's just a sweetie pie. She's a real, real lovely, lovely woman. She's a sweet, great singer, hmm. you know. And her cousin, Vinette Cloud, is even better. She's, Nettie sings soprano. Carmen usually sings tenor. And I was in falsetto singing alto. And we did dates all over town. And so Carmen taught me not only how to, where you want to put the vocal, because a lot of times people say, wow, we're doing backgrounds. That means we're singing harmony with the lead singer for the whole record. And she said, no, 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 no. You, you want to you arrange the chorus so it's either answers or the word. We were together with the lead singer for just certain periods. Some of it. You wanted to be able to differentiate between the different things. So in some ways, I wasn't. She didn't tell me so much what but she told me where. And that you know that I, she really I, it was really a good thing to learn from her. So I, I started taking dates just to pay the rent. Did when you were singing, did, did you have to arrange a lot of the time? Oh, the yeah. background. That's yeah. that's why they called me. For the more for the arrangements, probably more for the arrangements than the pipes, but in those days my pipes were just U.S. steel stamped all over them. I mean, <laughs> I could I could do anything, and I had really good falsetto. I could I could, I mean, it was just in really really good good condition. And I smoked like a chimney. It was crazy. It didn't make any sense. <laughs> I 
was smoking all the time, drinking all the time. I mean, it was just it was insane. It was stupid. That's but I I worked a lot, you know. And did so, you sing very differently when you were doing the backgrounds to like say when you were singing something oh, yeah, like you got on a blame. single record? Yeah, yeah. You but you just blame. knew what to a do. lead vocal is a different story. I mean, there's times where I mean, Tamara's busted me on it a couple of times. She said, "That's a nice lead. It sounds like you're doing a background." <laughs> try try singing it again. Make it try to see if you can make it sound like a lead vocal instead of just yet another track of backgrounds. You know, because I do a lot of stacking. You know, taking six tracks and you know hitting the hitting the tenor part and in and then doubling it left and right, and then and then an alto part left and right, and then a soprano part left and right. I'll just do them all. What what, what makes the, what I makes call that the champlets? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what makes a good lead then? Uh, it's hard to say with me it's just all of a sudden the lead is looser I can move around it a little bit I don't have to be concise I mean with backgrounds I'll go uh, I said well okay we're off on three so when we do the stack we're off on three so the whole all the backgrounds all go clean uh, and so you start paying attention to those little bits of of uh, math. Yeah. You know, uh, with lead, you leave the math back there somewhere. You can hang on a bit longer. Just go do on, do whatever you want. You know, although I love a lead vocal that's locked on the time. You know, there's, there's certain records out there that just the time, the time that the singer's singing is as much part of the drum set as it is part of the string section. Or part of the piano. It's the the you know I was kind of I always want the all anything that I put on a record I wanted to be able to feel like it's coming from the drum set. A lot of got a lot of guys are like that. Almost all the singers in Earth Wind and Fire are drummers. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, of course. Maurice was played drums on a lot of their records. Uh, uh, Phillips a drummer. They're all drummers. So they all they all kind of. Are, they really lend a lot of importance to groove, you know. It's like like, like it, if you're if you've ever dealt with Pro Tools or anything like that. There's quantize, you know. There's a certain swing factor on uh, on you know certain songs, and see if you can try to eyeball where the swing factor is and sing in that in that same little slot. Where do you sit on the Pro Tools? Uh, you know, obviously there's a long ra- uh, raging debate on. You know, were things good, better before all the technology came in, before Pro Tools came in? Or, well, I, uh, I lived with tape for years. Yeah. Know? Somebody you, said, hey, what did you what'd you do your first album on? I said, Smoke Signals. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I think the first Suns album was 8-track. You know, you look at the legend on it, it's a drums, background vocal, clarinet, <laughs> all of it ended up ending up on one track. You know, and then all of a sudden there's more tracks and more tracks, and suddenly you got 24 tracks. Wow, that's really good. So make it 23, and we can add another 23 by linking up another machine. Mm. And a Pro Tools just does away with all of that because the links, the link systems, then you're then you're dealing with gear again. And I'm not a, I'm not that much of a gearhead. I know just enough to get the vocal on tape. Or tape, he says, in into a Pro Tools track, or a group of Pro Tools track. I know enough to do that. I've got a decent microphone. I've got a decent preamp and compressor, and 
and it goes. You know what I mean? So I've I've got that's about all I know. So you still you still work in quite an old school way. I'm working know? in Pro Tools just because it it's some point. I mean, I ended up selling my 24 track. I loved it. God, I loved it. There was just there's something happens with with tape that doesn't happen with Pro Tools, but everybody's on. If they're if it's not Pro Tools, they're in uh, they're in uh, uh, Logic or, or Digital Performer or there's a handful of different platforms, but they all are wave files. Hmm. They all end up being the same thing. You're dealing with ones and zeros is pretty much what you're dealing with. And you want to try, you know, I always loved it. Man, we're going to charge you $20,000 to try to sound like your tape machine, which you already own. <laughs> and I paid for it and I went for it. But, I mean, I kind of had to. I mean, the, the the whole digital thing came along and it was like a wave. It just, it, you, you either caught the wave and surfed it on in or you didn't, you know, you wiped out. Yeah. Yeah, you you had to had to kind of go. Well, I, mean, I know a lot of engineers that were so good at at tape that really had trouble with with Pro Tools. But you know, I worked with Al Schmidt years ago when he was just dealing with tape, and then I've worked with him when he was dealing with Pro Tools, and he he understood all all different sides of the coin. Yeah. So people use the new technology. I mean, it doesn't uh, yeah. undermine the importance of parts. Yeah. They're just using what's available. Well, I mean, I was going with 24-track, straight 24-track, and then I did an album with Greg Matheson, and he brought in his Mitsubishi 32-track. But it was 32-track, you know, digital, but 16-bit instead of 24. And so eventually I just kind of got back around to 24, you know, 24-bit. Fine. It works great. I mean, people can go 96 bit or 198 bit, and eh, that's enough. <laughs> and and when when it comes to stuff that you were doing on tape, like I mean, it would have all been on tape. The uh, the, the stuff that you won this prize for. Well, let's, like put, let's put it this way: with tape, if you do six tracks of your own stacking, usually just put your sliders up right next to each other. It's blended. With Pro Tools. It's got to be just right. You mm. got to get it just right. Usually, the middle part you got to kind of move up sometimes during a word. Just the nature of digital versus tape. Tape just kind of wraps this sort of warmth around it, and boom, there you go. You got it. That's very interesting. So, in some ways, in that sense, and I've had engineers say pretty much the same thing to me. In that sense, it's you're ahead of the game. Yeah, the imperfections aren't so glaring. Oh, the imperfections are what make stuff well, made, happen. Made the, made the record. We did, a, we did one thing on the single album, and, uh, and we got Daryl Hall to sing this, this chorus for us. A song, it was a ballad called We Both Tried. Beautiful. And it just had one melody, and we were going to stack six tracks of him singing the melody just to give it some width. And he sang the first track, and 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 Foster went, "Oh my God, this is flat all the way. <laughs> I mean, consistently flat the whole way." And he just mentioned it, Daryl. I said, "I think you're under, Daryl. You're not hearing anything right." He says, "Don't worry about it. Double it." And the next track he hit, it was that much sharp the whole way, so it had a natural. Uh, uh, kind of chorusing 
that you would get from like a boss chorus or something like that, except he was doing it naturally. Because what makes chorusing is just a little pitch things. It's like with, with any so of the So he was keyboard. doing it deliberately? He was doing it deliberately. That's crazy. And Foster looked at me and said, that is a professional. That's a badass. That's crazy. <laughs> and, and he was right, man. Daryl Hall's one of the best singers on the earth. Yeah. Now, really, bar really. none. Forget about it. He's, you know, game over. He's just as good as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he his voice and is his partner. I mean, John's, John's a monstrous singer, too. But, man, Daryl is... Daryl takes the cake. I mean, it's a whole other world, you know? Yeah, they are both brilliant. But, I mean, when you've got someone like Daryl Hall, it's difficult to... You have a tendency to say, go oh, with please, it. can yeah. I say one? Well, it's like, look at Rascal Flats. I mean, they're they're all singers. And Jay DeMarcus sings fine. And uh, and Joe Don sings fine. But, man, none of them touch that Gary Gary LaVox. I mean, LaVox is a one-of-a-kind singer. How, how was it when you were in... Um, you know, how do you find it being in Chicago when you're, you know, singing... And there's so many good singers uh, in the band, and you're, you're singing lead sometimes, you're singing background sometimes. Was was there a lot of competition between all the different quality lead singers? Not particularly. I mean, you know, Robert sang his songs. Uh, Jason sang pretty much the higher the higher tunes. I kind of was handed the Terry Cass stuff, and any of the new stuff that was going on was usually up to the producer. Yeah, well, I mean, some of the big hits, some of the studio recordings, yeah. you know, you you sang. Well, yeah, it's just producers going, who's that guy? Oh, yeah, he's in the band. <laughs> I want him to sing. <laughs> you just hear me for a second. That that sounds like a good radio voice right there. So, I mean, I, we, did a, we did a lot of work. By that time, I had done so much background stuff, so much arranging stuff that that in in a way it kind of busted me out of the lead slot into the background slot because I was really good at stacking stuff up at putting putting background arrangements together and uh and Jason Jason and I had done enough other gigs together you know the West Coast All-Stars and different things you know acapella records and you know many many hours on microphone so yeah. so whenever we whenever we uh, whenever it was time for a Chicago record, hey, let's just go do what we do. On on backgrounds, you were talking earlier about something that I didn't know about. A lot of people would be interested in, which is that you sang uh, the backgrounds on the Elton John record "Little Genie," which mm-hmm. is kind of included well, on well, a lot of me West and things. me and three other guys, uh, Nigel Olson and Dee Murray were singing on it. They were both that was a bass player. Uh, D. Murray was a bass player, and Nigel's a drummer with Elton at the time, and Nigel's still the drummer with Elton. D. passed course, away yeah. after yeah, a while. But good singer, both of them. I mean, God, Nigel's a great singer. I'd worked with him quite a few times before, with mostly with Keith Olsen doing some stuff. But uh, and then Max Carl, who's the singer, who I think he's still working with. Uh, oh, what's the name of that band? Uh, the, the Detroit band. Uh, mm. I, I spent top dollar on my memory loss. You know what I mean? Uh, Grand Funk Railroad. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. Max, Max was was also the lead singer with Thirty Eight Special, 
when they put out your love da, 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 that's what you need max max carl he's an amazing singer yeah, yeah. good piano player good musician all the way around a sweet guy really cool guy so we've done some stuff he and i did did a little bit of stuff for richard marks we've we we ran around town a little bit. He doesn't live here in in L.A., so I'm kind of at the mercy of I, I got to get guys who are here. Yeah, if you want them to sing, I I don't really believe. I know you can do it these days. You can just we transfer a whole track to somebody and have them do their a bass part or a guitar part or a vocal part in their hotel room while they're on the road. In my the records that I make, if if I'm not there, it ain't going on. That's a really good way to be, I think. I think stuff is lost if it's not in person. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, you get, you get well, I'll take this. Is He didn't really understand kind of what I wanted to happen here. And you want to make sure that the that the guy who's playing on the record knows what you want to happen, happens. Yeah, it's difficult to explain it when, you, yeah. when you're not in person and get yeah. that vibe. Um, we've talked a lot about your singing, but your piano playing is obviously, you know, a very important part of... I'm not that, I don't think of myself as that much of a piano player. I definitely think of myself as an organ player. Hammond, organ player. Hammond yeah. organ is more, I'm probably more uh, more known as a Hammond player than a piano player. But I've, you know, it's same black notes, same white notes, and they're all in the same place. But it's just a different style. Organ is a, it's kind of a, you would consider it more of an overdub instrument, at least in West Coast music yeah. and a lot of pop music and stuff like that. Uh, do you feel more affinity of, with being an organ player? Huh? Do you prefer playing organ? Oh, I like organ, man. If, yeah. if I could, just, I could sit behind a B three all night long and, be, and feel great about it, you know. But I do a lot of guitar playing, also. Of course, yeah. on my own records, I, 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 a lot of my own records, they they lead with guitar. They start with guitar because I'm, you know, I really learned having played with with you know, having worked on records with Ray Parker and different rhythm players that. Rhythm guitar is an art, and, it, and it's worth getting on the record as soon as you can. Mm. Get a good rhythm group. I mean, my new album you listen to is you go, wow, the rhythm stuff's smoking. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to uh, one of your fav- one of my favorite records that you've ever cut uh, of Runaway, "Gotta Get Back to Love," and 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 in general the part guitar parts on the album, who who played guitar? Uh, that was who did that? Who did play it? I think Jay might have played that. Really, but um, it might have been Steve Lukather. Really? I, I don't remember. And uh, do, whoever it was was badass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that wasn't even my song. That that got us the deal. It was a Tom Kelly song. I did it. I is did yours it. the most famous version? Pardon me. Yours is the most famous version of that song, though, right? Yeah, that's that's yeah. my version of it. You know, and the one that Foster did. So Foster did a little bit of rearrangement of it. But the demo of the song was Tom Kelly's. We cut it as in his garage. And what about Without You? Without You, uh, I wrote that with Amber Delina. Her name is Amber Oberman now. Uh, and uh, we just handed it, I, you know, did a little little cassette of it and played it for David. He says, let's cut the song. And he cut it. He, he just had me on the on the click track he says i want you to raise the click tag you know bring the click up four bpm at the tag or two maybe two or four at the tag because we're going to want to go like that and he cut that track with just him and jeff jeff Picaro. right yeah the backgrounds on that are pretty outrageous yeah i would say i think that's just me stacking 
Yeah, that's that's sort of like a, a signature. It sounds like a, yeah. a signature. And yeah. is it a similar technique to when you did the version of After the Love Has Gone on um, on Jay's album? Yeah, Airplay for the Planet. Airplay right. for the Planet. That, that to me is my favorite version of it. Yeah, Jay says that, that too. To forever, we were we were we were beta testing the new ADATs when we did that at Jay's house. And we were running three or four of them in a row. And every time one kicked in, it would go, and go on. And then the next one kicks in. And which that thing is in, the chorus is in four different keys. It changes keys every well, every four beats. Yeah. So your accidentals are different. And especially after you've gone, it took me four days to sing that damn thing. Really? Yeah. Um, it would have taken four hours if, if we'd, I said, Jake, why couldn't we just go over to, he had two beautiful MCI 24 tracks. I said, just fly this on the 24 track. Let's go, let's do work as usual. But he told Marcus that he was going to beta test them. So we beta tested them. Well, I and mean, then, it, it really, I think it's the, the best version of it. Um, but there are so many well, of the, these. The guitar in the middle is amazing. Yeah, know? yeah. And yeah. it has a lot of things that the, I mean, I love the Earthwind and Fire version, don't get me wrong, but yeah. it is it is the definitive version. There are so many songs that some people might not have heard um, Obviously, there are loads of people people know them, but I bet I, I might have missed a couple of tunes. So my last question to you is, what is something super obscure from your career that you're really like proud of that you wish, oh, I wish more people knew, knew about that? Oh, there's a million of them. Uh, you know, we, we did a whole album with this guy. I was doing background vocals, and uh, a guy named Holden Raphael, or Raphael, was the producer of the record. The artist was a guy named uh, Kevin Moore, you know, tall, good-looking black guy. He wrote really straight-ahead songs, you know, like West Coast songs. They had, the, you know, Jeff and Mike playing, you know, bass, drums and bass on it, and they had really good people. The Hay Horn guys were on it. It was all over there. The record never did anything. I don't even know if they even released it, but I mean, we were all, while we were making it, we were going crazy. So I ran into uh, to the exec producer of the of the project, uh, Chris, I forgot her last name. Yeah, that's wrong. That's just wrong. Chris Bennett, a uh, good singer also. But Chris came to a Sun show that we were doing at Billboard Live years and years later. It must have been 15 years later. Hmm. And, she, and I said, say, Chris, whatever happened to Kevin? And she just looks at me and says, you don't get it, do you? I said, what do you mean? Kevin Moore. Keb Mo. Oh, shit, that's Kevin? <laughs> I've worn out two Keb Mo records. I love them. <laughs> he just switched to a blues to be a, more of a blues, more of a, uh, of a, what do you call it, more of a uh, swampy kind yeah. of music and, and he just did so well he writes always wrote great songs but he started and, off doing West Coast stuff yeah and you started off kind of doing a West Coast record and there were, I think at that point of the game the bottom had kind of dropped out of it people I don't want to hear it anymore let's get let's get back to some shitty R&B or some some you know stock pop or something and then Kevin from somebody told me a story I guess he did he played 
I knew he played guitar, but he never played on the record that I did with him, the backgrounds that I did. And I think it's it's seen the light. Of, the record's seen the light of day. I saw it on a on Facebook or something mm. a couple of months ago. I'm like, wow, they, people finally hear this. Great writer, great writer. He wrote a song called Riley B. King. It's about B.B. King. Beautiful, just tear-jerking song about a, of just an homage to B.B. King. So cool. There yeah. must be so many, um, as you said, about a million uh, of them in terms of, you know, records that, you know, you've worked on that you... But some happen, some don't. It's some are just, big hits. Then even even when the when the industry was as robust as it was, there's still a lot of records got just went fell through the cracks. Yeah, That's the way it but they they always tend to be worth discovering. So uh, fa- thanks so much again for coming on the podcast, Bill. It's been oh. uh, really awesome. Is there anything that you you want to direct people to promote? Well, I know if if you go to BillChamplin.com forward slash shop uh there's we've we've got cds available of uh my new album living for love it's not that new at this point it's about a year and a half old maybe two yeah. years old it's a really good album it's, there's a lot of very soulful stuff i really decided on that record to really write what i was feeling rather than just just be the were you working on that during lockdown a little bit, yeah. yeah. There was nothing else to do, so I, I, went, I went with that. I did. A, we did a couple albums in a row. One was was Wonderground, yeah, uh, which has got some great stuff on it, you know, uh, with Tamara, uh, Tamara Champlin and Gary Falcone and me. So that was sort of the trio that, you know, we ended up kind of writing this whole thing and singing on it. But uh, the solo album, the Living for Love album, it's worth worth getting. It's somebody said to me one time, uh, I or I might have seen it on TV. I don't know where I saw it, but somebody said, "Well, if it's not personal, it's not art." Oh wow, okay. And I had between my last solo album, which was uh, No Place Left to Fall, which was in early two thousand, the early two thousands. You know, George Hawkins was still alive at the time. Mm. The engineer, Jason Cassaro, was still alive at the time. A lot of people have, have disappeared from that lineup of Cats. and That was a great record. But I did. it was 12 years to my next record. And during that period of time, I lost my son. My son Brad passed away in 16, 2016. Uh, the day after, he, he died of cancer. That was the day after I was... Yeah. So uh, diagnosed with cancer, so I mean it was like bad oh week, my God. real bad week. So those things were, you know, and I, I had to go through what I had to go through to write that, and that's on that record. So it's really it's, personal. It's deep, yeah, it's deep, and it says it all. Because I've I've kind of realized at some point in the game, especially in country music, whenever anybody dies, suddenly they were. Their life, they were angels when they were alive. <laughs> Not necessarily yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. So to try to write that song and still, still be loving and still have, and and still be honest at the same time, that took me about two years to pull that one out of the hat. And it's a song called uh, An- "Another Lie," which is a lot of people have heard it and then know the story and go, "Holy Christ, you nailed the shit out of it." Uh, there's three Greg Matheson songs on there with me and Greg. Greg and I have always written some really, really good stuff together. There's just a lot of stuff that me and Tamara wrote together. There's a, the opening song 
is uh, is a track that Bruce Guy sent us, and Bruce hasn't been playing because he's he's had a had a stroke and is kind of hard to strumming just isn't working that well. But Bruce and I have written millions of things over the years, and uh, and he sent me that track and had George Hawkins on it, who was one of my favorite bass players and one of my best friends. And George passed away between when the track was cut and when I got it. And Tamer and I jumped all over that one, and that's mm-hmm. the opening song on the record. And I, I called Bruce. I said, who's playing drums on that? He said, oh, that's Vinny. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we got Vinny and George, you know, Vinny Caliota and uh, George Hawkins on bass, Bruce on all the guitars. I played organ on it, and we did we did the vocals on it and wrote the lyrics on it. It's just, it opens up with a bang, man. And there's there's some really cool stuff on that record. So if anybody's interested, if they still got a CD player, you could find it at iTunes probably and Spotify or any of those. But uh, but so you can stream. I guess you can stream it. You know, yeah. I I did a deal where the where the the digital was handed over to another company. Yeah. And I asked them, I said, "You going to put out CDs?" He said, "No." I said, do you mind if I do? He said, no, go ahead. Right. So, so CD is the place to, to get it. I think so, because you get all the, all the information. Yeah. So you know. so go to your website, billchampley.com. Yeah. And I, I co-wrote a song with Andreas Carlson, who's a, who co-wrote a lot of stuff for uh, uh, with Max Martin in, in Sweden. Oh, right, right, yeah. Andreas is, was also the the TV producer for, for Swedish Idol. <laughs> Andreas is a bad boy. He just gets around like crazy. He's, you know, he's been on a lot of different records. I've known him since he was 18 years old. He's a great singer. Great, you know. So that record just, when I started doing it, I figured, oh, I'll just, we'll just knock one off at home. And then next thing you know, different people. And Lenny Castro was all over the record. Oh, really? Wow. Oh, Lenny's as good as it gets. Yeah, fantastic. And with Lenny, I just I just wrote a list of the songs. I said, whatever, whatever, whatever. Let him decide what to do with it. And brought up a, a drive, and he just banged off, I think, all but one song on the album. Wow. You know, man, is that guy great. <laughs> so that's what, what people... Him and Luis out. Conte, are, they kind of own percussion at this point. They're the guys. Yeah. That, and they're both monsters, you know. Yeah, really impressive seeing yeah. Lenny playing when, um, when I have with Toto. Yeah, I mean, if do you have a copy of it? I don't think I do. You, but I, I will uh, be ordering. I'll, I'll get you one. Don't no, don't, Bill, don't leave we, without it. No, you, this is one you got to hear. Well, thanks so so much for the interview, Bill. Really appreciate okay, it. Okay, well, thank Real you for having honor. me, and uh, good luck getting Jay out of bed. Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs>